0: special Friday night edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. Cleveland staves off elimination, putting up a buck thirty-seven on the Golden State Warriors, winning it by 21. They set an NBA finals record, an NBA playoff record for most points in a quarter with 49 in that first quarter while still missing seven free throws as well. Really just an incredible offensive performance. For the game, they put up 137 points on only 95 possessions. Actually, one of the slower games. Games in the series, although the first half saw 52 possessions, and that's where most of the damage was done. Before we get into it with Danny here, we are sponsored today by our friends at SeatGeek. Enter promo code CAPSpace in the SeatGeek app and you can get a $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase. And big news here, Danny, a new sponsor, 5-4 Club, no longer will being well-dressed, cost you a fortune. If you go to 5.4, spelled out the words, 54 clubcom right now and enter promo code CAPSPACE, they'll give you 50% off your first month's package plus a free pair of sunglasses. So we will have much more on them later on, but let's get to this game. What did you think of this one? Was this, Cleveland just being completely unstoppable. How much of it was the Warriors not playing as well?
1: It was a fair amount of both. I mean, there was a lot that Cleveland was doing out there that would have been hard for the Warriors to stop even at their best, but they weren't at their best. So you kind of have those things running together. One other crazy stat that you didn't throw out there was that Cleveland's 86 points at halftime were the most in a half in NBA history in the playoffs. So that's that's pretty impressive. It beat 83, I think it was, in 1962, with something crazy like that, Lakers Pistons or something like that. That. Well,
0: and that's co- that's crazy too because they used to play at like 125 possessions a game back then too, right and they still beat that the, in in probably you know about 80 as many possessions
1: right and so i, I think that you want to give the lion's share of the credit to the cavaliers i mean they were on fire in the first quarter they were on fire in the first half a couple of halftime stats that i thought were were really impressive they had 18 assists on 28 made field goals which sounds like a lot but then you remember that they also had 17 points from the free throw line so like it's just a ridiculous total sum. The Warriors had 68 yeah. at halftime and trailed by 12 by 18.
0: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. They're able to say, I mean, the Warriors put up their standard first half of 67, 68 points in this final series and... It- Yet Cleveland absolutely killed them. Where I want to start here actually is just to go through the beginning of the game when Cleveland put up 24 points in the first four minutes and 30 seconds. And I think it provides a decent proxy for what the rest of the game looked like, even though the Warriors had their chances really to get back into this, maybe more than it seemed like if you look at just the statistics. They started off as they did game one with some nice floppy action. They really were able to hurt the Warriors quite a bit on those where they would have Kyrie and J.R. Smith go under the basket. Each of them would receive screens coming out to the wing. They got J.R. Smith open on that uh, off of Steph Curry. They also had succeeded in getting switches of Steph Curry onto Kyrie Irving in that action. And Smith hit a semi-contested three from Curry, the type of shot that you don't want him taking. And I thought that just in general, running stuff for Smith really worked well early on, number one, to get him going, but number two, because he's a good enough shooter and he can get his shot off in enough ways that you have to react to him. And that opens it up, obviously, for their three all-stars a- as well.
1: Yeah, and r- a reminder that both of these teams have a lot of guys that can space the floor, but it helps when you have to be more cognizant. I thought they were doing a much better job of putting JR in actions that required a response.
0: So he hits a three on there. They run the first clay for play for a clay pin down. And Tristan Thompson, in what presage how much more active he is going to be, helps off a Draymond at the top. More teams should do that, by the way, anytime the Warriors run floppy You just have that guy, as soon as the pass is made, just sprint towards the ball, basically make him throw it back to Draymond at the top for a three. So Thompson got in there late after a pretty good contest, even from Smith initially on Thompson, forced to miss there. And then Irving hit two ridiculous shots in a row, a step back to his left over Steph Curry off the switch. I think they just got matched up badly in transition. And that was the theme really as well was really Cleveland got much more out of transition than the Cavaliers or than uh, Golden State state did and yeah you know the Cavaliers are only credited with eight fast break points but again as I said many times they are not liberal enough about what they consider transition. And there are plenty of plays where just because it was off a miss, they pushed it or even jogged the ball up that they're able to get the ball in an advantage situation. So he hits that ridiculous step back. Then there was an easy transition layup for Zaza Pachulia, uh, which is pretty ugly for Cleveland. But then Irving hit another ridiculous step back going to his right. And then Draymond hit a three off of a Steph Zaza drag screen in transition. It was eight to five. There's only 119 into the game, by the way. It's already eight to five. And another thing that really stuck out to me, especially during this early period, was the Cavaliers getting all the loose balls on. Irving took a rebound away from Clay after KD tried really hard to draw a three shot foul. After Irving tried the same thing, neither of them got it and neither of them hit the rim either on their shot. And then Tristan Thompson got an offensive rebound, missed the tip, got a second rebound, and then James was able to cut to the basket. And that was it was an awful Zaza Pachulia foul on the layup. They had no chance of following him to stop him, no chance of contesting him, should have just let him go uh and that's after patchouli also missed the box out on thompson and then it really got ugly for the warriors because they again this was partially the Cavs making their lives difficult tristan thompson just decided to flash towards curry in the backcourt bumped him a little bit but curry lost the ball out of bounds just a turnover at midcourt uh then the warriors blew a switch uh between steph and clay irving got a back cut uh, and was wide open and just was golden state was lucky that tristan thompson missed a floater off of that action curry missed a wide open three in transition but that was really the only great shot that they got early on and then after that Draymond and KD both guarded LeBron in transition that left Love with a wide open three he missed that but Zaza had to sprint out at him uh, nobody got the rebound. It just bounced all the way up to the top of the key to LeBron James. And then he just threw it right to J.R. Smith for a corner three. And it's 14 to five at that point. They've got 14 points in two minutes and 30 seconds. So the mistakes, the effort being higher than the Caval- for the Cavaliers than for the Warriors, and obviously the Cavs hitting their three-pointers as well is what stuck out to me during that period. And Kerr took a timeout at that point, but uh, it didn't get any better.
1: It really didn't. And one of the notable parts in the early part of, in that early section was how much better the looks Cleveland was getting worse than the Warriors and that really just kept on continuing Draymond had an awful pass and then in semi-transition LeBron had an absolutely spectacular pass to Kevin Love got it got an easy basket there and it's one of those passes that there I'm not sure how many guys on, on the planet that can make it at the NBA level there are probably like two or three and yeah and that speed... was another
0: one that was another one because of transition right Zaza was on Love which is a matchup they don't like Draymond Green wasn't quite locked in to help on that back door he was guarding tristan thompson probably should have helped more uh and love uh, gets an easy dunk and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, this section of the game but first i want to tell you about our new sponsor five four club looking good it doesn't need to cost a fortune five four club is revolutionizing the way that men shop it's possible to get really good clothing if you go to a bricks and mortar store but be prepared to spend four hours doing it combing through the sales rack finding the right size is this really marked down how much of the sale is that is a 10%, you know, so maybe you could find some stuff you like, but it's going to be a big investment. Five Four Club does things differently. The way it works is that every month they send you a curated box of two to three items that are handpicked to match the current season and your style. I have no idea what season it is with closing, so that's definitely going to help me. They've actually been helping men with fashion for over 15 years, and they shipped over 100,000 men every month. When you get started with them, as you will using that cap space code, of course, You fill out your profile with your sizing, obviously, and then you can decide, do you prefer a more casual style? Do you prefer a classic style? Are you more fashion forward? Do you want to make more of a statement? And then you can go for a mix of all three of those as well. They work with top men's designers and guys like Chris Paul and Mark Wahlberg wear their stuff for that reason. And when you sign up, you're not only dependent on getting the two to three items every month, but you also get exclusive access to discounts to shop their online store you get 50% off at their Easter. You can actually go through and f- check out all their pieces there as well and pick out exactly what you want if that's a, more what you're into as well. So definitely just recommend you go check out their site, 54 club You spell it out completely. The words five and 4 54 clubcom That promo code is going to be Capspace, of course, to get 50% off your first package. And you can pause or cancel anytime. There's no commitment. And you'll get $120 worth of clothes for just $60 a month. I highly suggest that you just go to that website 54club.com check out some of the stuff you have I think you'd be pretty impressed by it and if you use that promo code Capspace, you get 50% off your first package So picking it up here, we were saying on the Twitter NBA show after that curve timeout that they should have brought in Andre Iguodala. Iguodala inexplicably in this one. I mean, I guess the explanation is still that he's not feeling that healthy. Only 21 minutes for him when they were trying pretty much the whole time. He was plus nine. (laughs) Sorry, the cats are play fighting in the background. I got a little distracted, but uh, Iguodala didn't play that much and... If he can't play that much, how about you go with Sean Livingston instead? Give him a shot as well, Though maybe the problem there is that he can't really guard LeBron James, so the way Iguodala can, and, and Durant would have to guard Love. You can't put Livingston on Love, but nonetheless... Kerr did finally go to green at center, but they're already down 24 to nine at that point.
1: Something I wanted to- And then to... we didn't see it at oh, all
0: in the third quarter too. Sorry, I, I I paused there, but yeah, we didn't see Draymond at center for a single minute in the third quarter when I thought they really blew an opportunity to get back into it.
1: Something that I noticed and didn't talk about enough on the Twitter NBA show was my greater feeling that putting Draymond on love is is sapping away a lot of what he does so well because Draymond can't leave Kevin Love. Kevin Love is a great shooter. He knows how to take advantage of a guy who's not paying super close attention to him. And so it's putting Green in the wrong parts on the floor. And I I completely understand why certain parts of that and when Love is making shots, as he did in this game, he was six for eight on threes, all of which were, you know, reasonably good shots. Then it's going to be a problem for the Warriors and it it ties in. And yeah, it's true that there are going to be some sacrifices if you move Draymond onto Tristan Thompson, but I don't think that he's going to commit as many fouls on Tristan Thompson, as you will on Kevin Love, personally.
0: Yeah, I agree. But then, you know, who's going to guard Kevin Love? You can't put Zaza on him. You have to, you know, get Zaza out of the game. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, yeah, playing James as a traditional power forward on Love takes away so much of of what he can do. But just to finish up with what we were talking about here in the that ugly first quarter stretch for the Warriors and and that brilliant stretch for the Cavs. They ran another pin down for JR. This is a set play. LeBron and Tristan Thompson double screened for him in the corner. It was a good screen. Zaza was forced to step out. And then JR took it anyway over a contest, missed. But Tristan Thompson, that left Steph trying to box him out. He started trying to box him out. I mean, he tried his hardest. Started trying to box him out 20 feet from the basket. And Tristan Thompson just threw him out of the way and went and got the offensive rebound. And then KD didn't box out anybody. And then Love got a wide open three in the corner. That made it 19-6. to Another play then on a Steph pick and roll with Green. He had the two-on-one with Zaza under the basket. Love was the one and Love deflected Green's pass to Zaza out of bounds they did get a three from clay a tough one though after a screen and then after the one possession really that they played of good defense on a Kyrie pick and roll clay rotated to Kevin Love after Kyrie almost threw it away in the corner and Love just happened to beat him to what was almost a loose ball and then like throw up a shot and get two free throws that made it 21 to eight another terrible play with Steph just throwing it away trying to enter the ball to the wing 35 feet from the basket to Draymond Green but again Tristan Thompson was up there pressuring a little bit And I think they should do that more to Draymond because when he's trying to play make, because if you want to try and get Draymond Green to drive to the basket, like that's what Cleveland wants him to do. And if you look at the shot attempts in this game, Draymond took 16 shots, Curry took 13 and Clay Thompson took 11 and Curry only, and Thompson only took five shots inside the arc in the whole game. And Curry usually outstanding in the plus minus was negative 25 in this one. Um, and so they did a great job, really, of forcing the guys that they wanted to to beat them to some extent. I mean, only. 24 combined shot attempts for Curry and Thompson also has got to be disappointing for Golden State. And then the last play that was, again, really good offense from the Cavs, but also a miscommunication from Golden State. They had another pin down. Kyrie came off a pin down from Love. Clay tried to shoot the gap and excellent fundamentals from Cleveland. When they shoot the gap, you flare to the corner. He was going to be open. Love set a great screen, probably a moving screen. But that was another thing. I mean, the Cavaliers really just pushed the envelope extremely hard in terms of the offensive glass in terms of setting screens and especially because golden state picked up fouls early they weren't able to be as aggressive and that really helped and so then on that play irving then got separation from clay went back door draymond green had to help on that and they never communicated they both ran after Kyrie going back door and love was wide open for another three and it's 24 to 9 and i mean golden state i don't think they ever got it below 11 at one point maybe in the second quarter they did that was it and that was only yeah, 4 30 into the game
1: It was very reminiscent of many of the games that occurred in Cleveland in the prior two finals where they went out early and then the Warriors pushed the margin closer, but never could get it back to being a truly competitive game. And that didn't get into what was in some ways the most confusing part of this game, which was what the heck was going on with the technical fouls. And the explanation makes me realize that there should be better safeguards in place to make sure this sort of thing doesn't happen. I can walk through it if you want. Yeah, please. So basically what happened was it was a play where draymond green actually hit i think it was the play where he hit him on shumpert in the face on a jump ball that was javel versus i think it was javel lebron and so there was a, a foul called on draymond draymond got very mad steve kerr also got very mad and jumped up from his chair ran towards half court the referee was turned towards kerr not towards draymond green and whistled the technical but as you would expect the cleveland crowd was going crazy just as every crowd would especially in this given circumstance and the official score was not apparently it sounds like like the official scorer was not told definitively by the officiate by the official who called the technical who it was on and interpreted by context they thought that it was on draymond green they called it over the loudspeaker but none of the officials heard it because the crowd was going insane so then what happened was normally that wouldn't matter that much but later on in the game and i think it was in the third quarter green got a technical foul for i think it was for jawing with the officials after another foul on him and the scorer goes over to what the scorer kind of gets one of the officials and they're like draymond green's ejected And the scores and the officials went, no, he's not. You know, that was the that was his first echo foul. And then they realized that they had never resolved it the first time. And it feels like there should be a better system in place. There probably is a better system in place. But it was it was surreal because then they had to figure it out. And it was one of the myriad stoppages in that third quarter
0: yeah and there's no way they call that second technical on Draymond green if they i mean because people would being like oh they just uh, they screwed up and then they realized we didn't want to eject him like there's no way they call that second technical on green if they thought uh, that he already had one so and i thought that second technical was pretty weak it, as well and Kerr did sprint off the bench so and because we were i thought it was on him initially because we were saying on the tour nba show that like he's going to get a technical because at that point in the game I, I thought that it certainly wasn't the case when the cavaliers got out to a 15 point lead but then at the end of the first quarter when they ended up shooting 22 free throws and I think they had only taken three of those when they got out to the 24 to 9 lead the rest of those all came they took 22 free throws I'm sorry 19 free throws in the last you know seven minutes of the quarter basically and so there are definitely some of those were somewhat questionable calls but again Cleveland was much more aggressive uh, than Golden State and they earned a lot of those calls as well but yeah I I don't think that there was like some conspiracy to like keep Draymond Green in the game Um, although a lot of people were killing this crew of like of John Goble and Mark Davis they are definitely two of the least favorite referees throughout the league although Mark Davis did give me a great moment of catharsis when he teed up Dante Jones on the bench.
1: He's made like your four favorite calls of these playoffs. It is one of my favorite things about this year is that, and all of them have been on the Twitter NBA show. Like the, the James Harden one, he's the first guy who got Kevin Love with an off-arm BS play. Uh, and there was a, there was another one, I can't remember what it was. And he, he nailed all those. And then there's the other stuff. But I think, I, I ta- I've i talked about this a little bit and it'll be in my piece for The Athletic when it goes up. I thought this game was more bad balanced in terms of officiating the game 3 was. It's just that the, you know, the outcome went the other direction and because there was so much confusion, it was it was a kind of a, a disjointed game partially because of the officiating, but that doesn't necessarily make it uneven. That just makes it disjointed.
0: Yeah, and I definitely thought there were some bad calls sure. to be sure, but I don't I didn't think that that was a positive in the game. And actually the Warriors did well to not uh, no warrior finished with more than four fouls in the game after I think like four warriors had two fouls in the first and all their main guys had two fouls in the first quarter uh the only time Klay thompson missed a little time with his third foul at the end of the second quarter
1: cleveland only took five things, yeah so cleveland only yeah. took five free throws in the second half
0: yeah and i thought the warriors had a chance to get back into it in the second half especially in this the fourth quarter even too those two cleveland threes right at the end of the third were huge and then through most of the fourth quarter Cleveland only scored 11 points and the Warriors really didn't do much better until the very end and overall you know we talked about how so much of the game was the three-point shooting in game three well Cleveland set an NBA finals record and almost beat their own NBA playoff and overall NBA record with 24 three-pointers they shot 24 out of 45 at one point they were 21 out of 35 shooting 60 percent from three deep into the game on a huge number of attempts as well. And Golden State, they won 11-39, and Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson combined to go eight for 28, which from those shooters, not what you would expect. And then they got Draymond Green to take another six, and he was only one out of six.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a strange game in a lot of that ways. Not necessarily Cleveland making a bunch of threes, but just kind of the way the pendulum swung both directions to a point at the same time. And also just the, the, the awkwardness of the officiating, I have said consistently throughout all three of these finals that a game that is tightly tightly called is going to benefit Cleveland because they there are two things one they're more aggressive but secondly the Warriors put themselves in position to get called for fouls all the time because they have guys like Andre Guadalupe that reach in and, and things like that and those can get called or don't get called and love we, we talked about this a lot in the Twitter NBA show he gets this sort of deference from refs all the time and I mean he, he fights gets for he gets
0: more I think he gets more of the benefit of the doubt than any player in the league from the referees like anytime someone gets engaged. Engaged with him down low like anytime he posts up on a small guy and the pass he doesn't receive the pass cleanly he gets the call every time even when and they just assume well it's Kevin Love he's big he's posting up they have to be fouling him which you know is not really the case like Ian Clark and Steph Curry both got some pretty questionable calls on entry passes to him and same thing when he gets engaged on some rebounds now he is obviously an excellent rebounder he's great with the dark arts of using his arms but he definitely gets and then on three shot fouls too, he probably gets more of the benefit of the doubt. You remember that play in the Boston series where he jumped three feet to his right as Al Horford was like trying to avoid him and and he got a foul call that it was so egregious that Tom Havrester actually mentioned that in his piece on on the three-shot foul. It was a great piece that should certainly be read. But yeah, I, I think he gets more of the benefit of the doubt than anyone in the whole NBA because, in terms of just uh, when he's grappling around there, he almost never gets called for the foul.
1: One of my favorite stats from this game, and there are a lot of ridiculous ones. You can go in different directions. We said a lot of them. LeBron James had an offensive rating of one forty-eight point one, and Susie, that's completely appalling. He played forty-one minutes. <laughs> like this isn't a small sample size theater, like Amon Shumpert having an offensive rating of one seventy-point nine. You know that sort of thing can happen. In twelve minutes, but they were spectacular with James on the floor, and I feel like we just need to talk about this a little bit more. Maybe because I'm making it a focus of some of my material. But Steve Kerr is so conservative with his approach, just in terms of managing minutes. The big, the only, the big bold move he made was not playing Ian Clark in the second half. But yeah, that, which
0: was good. He needed yeah. to do that. But again, yeah, you, you, this is a great point. Like you're right about this. He is never. I shouldn't say never. Like sometimes I think in the regular season sometimes he actually does a better job with these things but agreed uh but you're right he's always it seems like in these playoff series reactive uh and reactive in the sense that whatever he's doing has to like not work and then not work again and then really not work
1: no it's not only that though it's that it has to not work and the team has to get put in a disadvantaged position for it like it's not only that it like oh his... yeah
0: yeah that's a great point yeah
1: because if it if it fails yeah, he'll but never they still react
0: win. until they're about to lose because of whatever it is
1: right and so the the two most prominent examples of that were in the 2015 playoffs where when they went down 2-1 to Memphis they've started putting Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen and then the most famous one is when they went down 2-1 to Cleveland in the finals that year that's when they finally actually trotted out what then became the death lineup with Draymond at center and that's yeah. just the way Kerr approaches everything and I think the best example of that was not even either of those it was in 2016 when Andrew Bogut got hurt and his answer was to keep going with centers and it was like going with well either- he
0: did actually start the death lineup in game six but but, but then not i mean games, it was yeah. It, yeah but see but that was one of those things where it was like oh we uh i started the death lineup didn't work so i can't do that anymore
1: and then that's what you know, i like think when he went to mackerel we're
0: gonna get too tired or something yeah yeah and so, so, I, so i
1: understand the iguodala part of this equation like there there could very well be a concern there i fully acknowledge that and i also know that if there is something they will never say it right now so it's one of those circumstances where we can't know but we have a pretty good idea of two different parts of this one is that the warriors use of their traditional centers right now is very predictable and cleveland is doing a much better job of using that to their advantage they finally put in tristan thompson against players that aren't Patrulia he did a nice job in those minutes and cleveland knows how to attack as you learn in a seven game series they're learning how to attack those weak points and unlike last year the weak points in the warriors defense are almost always their centers
0: quick aside here i think you're being a little too harsh on on Kerr in 2015 because nobody was saying put Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen. That was brilliant. And then everyone was saying, oh, just start Iguodala over Harrison Barnes. And they started Iguodala instead of Bogut. And, you know that that was a brilliant move. Both of those uh, that worked really well, and those were not things that people were saying. Well, let me be done. let me
1: clarify. The, the point yeah. is, the point was not that those were obvious moves that everyone's saying. It was that the impetus to do it was them trailing. That's that was the point I was making. Not that those moves were obvious. They weren't. I mean, I, I openly acknowledge that.
0: Yeah, but that's also. I mean, this team is the favorite. This has been one of the greatest teams of all time three years in a row, and I think that Kerr is almost a little bit too seduced by that at times. Where I mean, I I think that uh, Mike Brown and now. Don't get me wrong. I, I stand by the fact that Steve Kerr is a top two coach in the league with this system that he's built, what they've done in the regular season over these few years. But I think Mike Brown did a better job of coaching this team so far than Steve Kerr has. And because he's, he is a little bit more aggressive about it, right? Like we talked about Portland game three, Mike Brown just went right to the death lineup in the third quarter of that game. And that's what, what got them back in that game, right? Like, and he stuck with that lineup for a long time. That's how They probably don't win that game if Steve Kerr is the coach. We said that at the time that was the first game actually that Mike Brown did coach um and I think actually it's fair to wonder again I mean if Ty Lue is doing a better job than Steve Kerr is I think he is I think you have to say that again in this in this series and like this series should probably be 2-2 like it really should be like Cleveland should have won game three the Warriors got so lucky like that third quarter in game three and I'm not I'm not saying that like Cleveland's gonna win this series or anything like so let's not go crazy but that third quarter in game three When they put up thirty three points and they missed a crap ton of open threes, that could have been almost as bad as the first quarter was today. Uh and once again, it was just not enough Draymond at center. And also, like the way he's doing his rotation now makes it very difficult because if you want to go with Draymond at center in the first or third quarter, then all of a sudden you have to take him out with five or four minutes left in the quarter anyway. Uh so you really just can't get it's not possible to get enough of of those minutes. Um and, and so I think you know, at some point there's this idea that we're the favorite and like all right if we go at Draymond at center that's our last card like if we play that and what oh my god what if that doesn't work you know like this is our last card we can't play our last card because if we play that and it doesn't work then we're like totally screwed and i just i don't understand that kind of thinking at all it's just way overly conservative to me this idea of saving saving putting something in the tank for no reason instead of just putting your best unit out there And, and again maybe it's just because andre can't play that many minutes maybe they just feel that way but uh you know,
1: I, I think that's the, the idea, only
0: excuse for it to me.
1: To me, the idea might be that he Kerr treats too many things as constraints that aren't constraints like, oh, we can't go small against Tristan Thompson. Oh, we we oh, we have to make sure that Stephen Curry does this and that Draymond Green does that. And so it's it's kind of like the idea of if you put certain things in specific boxes, then the solutions get more complicated. But you can't make those assumptions. You just have to be like, OK, we have to try this differently. And that was why in 2015, that was the part of the Iguadala thing that made so much sense was when they were bringing him off the bench a they were doing the whole Nikola Mirotic playing him the entire rest of the half which made no sense and it staggered his minutes from LeBron and so you kind of go oh well the the constraint here is that you're separating him at the beginning if you straighten that out it's more complicated now certainly but the other part of it is just the the McCaw for Cork was the first really of these changes where oh yeah like we we I've made the joke it's been a running thing with the two of us that David West is not allowed to play in the first and third quarters they just have never tried that it's never been an idea of something to do, and the Warriors are so crazy good that they can win a championship without ever doing their best stuff frequently, but it's so surreal to see a team actually do that when we know that Kerr thinks the death lineup is his best five.
0: Well, we are going to be headed to NBA Summer League after this, and obviously next NBA season, or if you want to go check out a baseball game or a football game or maybe a concert, perhaps SeatGeek is the way to do that. SeatGeek has taken away two of the main pain points when it comes to buying tickets. One is that there are just so many websites out there that it's just too much of a pain to go to all of them. You do are worried that maybe you might be missing out on a deal if you don't go all them now. SeatGeek is taking that worry away. They put ticket buying sites, multiple ticket buying sites in front of you so that you now can make an informed decision with everything all in one place. Secondly, their technology ranks every ticket based on value compared to the tickets around it. So you've already got all the tickets in front of you. Now you can just pick the best value one in the section you want to sit in. And you've completed your ticket buying in like a minute and a half instead of what used to be like a 20-minute process. And you don't have to have anxiety that you didn't get the best deal either. Or that maybe this ticket that was $10 cheaper but was eight rows behind was a better idea. We get started with SeatGeek, download their app and enter the promo code CAPSPACE in the settings tab. That will get you a $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase. Once again, the SeatGeek app promo code space. We need to talk about Kyrie Irving's game, which, again, this is the type of game. He put up 40 points in 41 minutes, 15 to 27 for the field. He was 11 of 14 for 28 points at halftime. He was hitting everything from three at force us. And this is the type of game, again, that so worries you when you're golden state the type of game that made you pick this as a six game series is when he gets going you just can't do anything to stop him and over the course of a seven game series you can make it more difficult on him make him take tough shots i thought and and the Warriors didn't do the greatest job of that. But I mean, of his 12 threes that he took, I mean, maybe like three of them, four of them were, were open that you would think of. You know, that's just going from memory.
1: Yeah, and I mean, what makes Kyrie so impressive also is is the ability to, that he's comfortable taking tough shots and that he makes them at a rate better than better than anybody else. I think back to, I think it's Ian Levy has talked about this with XPS, the idea that there are certain guys who just yeah, outperform. Expected
0: point per shot, by shot, the way, right. that was what that is based on who's shooting it, or, or I'm sorry, based on the distance and based on how contested it is.
1: Exactly. And so the idea is that certain players are just uh, just outperform their XPS because they're good at making those kind of shots. Dirk Nowitzki is an example of this because he just can drill those mid-rangers and are various other guys. Kyrie Irving to me is the, is the pinnacle of that. And why I find Kyrie so intriguing is that when he's there, he's undeniable. Like there, there isn't a way to fix that. He can beat good defense. He can take audacious shots and just make them and incidentally another guy who can do that is jr smith you know jr smith shot one of the more impressive legitimately non-urgent threes i've seen in a long time he basically shot it from from the front edge of the logo deliberately and and nailed it and i mean granted yeah, the
0: clock was running down a little bit but it was, a little bit he shot, but, his, he shot his normal shot from like 40
1: it was it was incredible and I can't believe we've gone this long without talking about what is my single favorite play of the postseason so far.
0: Oh god, yeah, because I, I, we saw it developing on the Twitter NBA show, and it was actually great defense. LeBron came down in transition. Someone faked towards him and he kind of just got in the air and had nowhere to go. And his awareness is so unbelievable that he just tossed it off the backward. As soon as I saw him toss it towards the backward, I started just like jumping out of my chair because it was just ridiculous. And I mean, he can't get up quite as much as he used to, but he dunked it all over KB, KD's back. Really just fantastic work by LeBron I mean he did an all-star game play in the NBA finals
1: and it wasn't planned like it was it was it, I mean it was planned obviously when he threw it but it wasn't planned yeah. before that it wasn't like T-Mac when he did that play in the all-star yeah, he game was like he
0: was threw- like deciding He was like deciding at the three-point line okay I'm gonna try this like it was legitimately like okay I'm just gonna have to do this and then he just went and got it and dunked it
1: and we talked about it during the show but I think it's something players should do more often because it, it ties in with I talk about this more with football but an offensive player has the advantage that they don't have to react if they if they know the plan and defensive players have to always figure out what the heck is going on because they're dependent and so when LeBron throws it I mean your instinct is like looking for a rebound doing something else it's not it's never that that's never your idea of what is intended to be going on and you know Moses Malone did it in a very different way but it was it was awfully impressive
0: yeah James eh, 31 points 11 to 22 from the field Ho hum. He he made some three pointers as well. Three for eight again. I mean, he, he's been hitting his three ball pretty well in the series. And Smith, he fifteen points on ten shot attempts. Again, he has been five of ten in both of the last two games. Five. Uh, he's been ten out of nineteen on three pointers in the last two games as well. And I thought he played very solid defense on Clay Thompson getting around screens as well. And, and just again, you see only the eleven shot attempts for Thompson. Smith had a big play in that.
1: You brought this up earlier, but when I pick- picked warriors in six i thought that cleveland was going to win a game like game four and i thought they were going to win a game like game three it just so happened that they lost game three it's pretty much the same idea because cleveland can win big the warriors can lose big cleveland can win close so you kind of got those two archetypes and yeah i i wouldn't expect cleveland to win another three games in the series but i think they can win any single game in this series absolutely
0: Thompson as well was outstanding in this one Tristan Thompson four offensive rebounds but of course he got his usual diet of loose ball fouls as well Love got a couple of those Richard Jefferson got a couple of loose ball fouls as well I mean one of the most leading misleading stats is that the Cavs only had 11 offensive rebounds and the Warriors had 16 the Cavs a a lot of those were late for the Warriors too the Cavs really uh, their offensive rebounding was huge especially the second chance points and Cleveland had 21 second chance points to the Warriors 15 but again most of those came early on 21 second chance points is a ton i thought shumpert was good as well he harassed steph curry to some degree and guys like shumpert jefferson thompson those are the guys who ramp up the intensity against this golden state team and it's weird when things go poorly for the warriors in cleveland they go really bad like it just like it feels like the air is just like leaking out of the spaceship for them in cleveland at at an accelerated rate whenever things go poorly i mean it doesn't feel that way Even for Cleveland, when I mean, it looks like they're getting dominated and they can't stop them, but there isn't this aspect of like, we're in foul trouble. We're going crazy with the refs for what we think are are these bad calls. Like, people are getting technicals and like almost getting thrown out, and there's all these incidents and stuff. Like, that doesn't happen to Cleveland. Like, they maintain their composure a lot better than the Warriors do. I
1: mean, the Warriors implode. It's something that has happened over the course of the last couple seasons, even when they broke the record with 73 and nine. Some of those losses were just eye popping, and it happened. With this team, a point I wanted to ask you was were there any Warriors from 1 to 12 that you thought had a good game? well
0: KD had 35 points on 30 shooting possessions
1: he got to the line a ton
0: yeah he, he did and earned most of those I thought actually his defense on LeBron actually wasn't that bad he was not as impactful as a health defender he had two blocks one of them was a pretty nasty chase down block in the second half so I mean you'd have to say him but again I mean he was he was not as impactful and I think if you're gonna look at adjustments they have to run much more Steph Curry pick and roll at Kevin love I mean there Cleveland now is not switching that except an emergency they are doubling that and yeah all right if they're going to take it out of Steph Curry's hands so be it and and then I mean it's just the off-ball stuff has they've gotten worse and worse at the off-ball stuff as the the series has gone along and again I mean it's like Cleveland gets better and better at at adjusting to the Warriors it's pretty impressive these last two years and that's got to be a little bit of a concern for golden state again they have a nice lead they got two of the next three at home uh they have dominated at home we'll see whether cleveland can come out and really hit them in the mouth a little bit i i do think though that golden state has the advantage in the clutch you know when they actually play their good lineup uh and so cleveland like for them to really win a game in this it's other than a game seven. i think a game seven if it does happen is going to be a really sloppy game that's been the history of nba finals game sevens. if you go back and look at it they're all pretty low scoring and ugly but i think that overall like cleveland needs to get out to another great start again in uh in game five and they're they're capable of doing that as we've seen and, and they're capable of doing that in part because you know they can go at Petulia and they, they've got some actions that have worked pretty well this floppy stuff at the start of these last two games has been uh it's really difficult for the Warriors to deal with and then Zaza is such a liability offensively I mean I know he's kept keeping Kristen Thompson off the glass like he deserves credit for that he's I thought he played pretty good defense in the third quarter in this game too but I mean he's just he's not one of their best players and if you're playing him against Cleveland's best players and you're you've got four all-stars in the floor and you can't keep afloat. you know I, I mean I guess it's just it goes back Back to this idea that Iguodala can't play enough minutes
1: i'm very mad at myself for forgetting to connect this with my overall point because it is in my own head the way that i do it the conservatism point with kerr is actually in some ways more applicable to his system than the personnel and that is the idea that they run this beautiful ball and player movement offense yeah and they never just
0: pick at the scab right right? like cleveland they run the same shit over and over again until you stop it they'll very often will run the same play twice in a row Kerr, you'll never see that from him
1: and it's even broader than that where it's ball and player movement and what cleveland has over the years honed in with their offense or with their defenses okay we're just gonna grab we're gonna grab and hold these guys we're gonna do everything and curry he's good at many parts of it but a you're not gonna get those calls as much when he's off the ball and and b you're just it's just not the way that the offense is gonna work so they're gumming it up which is a a basic point and you're getting into these circumstances where less talented players have the ball in their hands more often And they're still really good i mean the warriors are still an incredible team but it's the same thing that happened last year and it's the same thing really that happened in 2015 It was just that they were way better than Cleveland because two of Cleveland's good guys were hurt and everything else. But the idea of kind of swallowing your pride and saying, okay, we have another, not only do we have an unstoppable lineup, but we have like not only just the like curry Draymond pick and rolls, but we've, I mean, before the season, everybody was going all googly-eyed about the Curry-Durant pick and roll. We haven't seen it at all this year. It is in many ways the the antidote for a lot of this stuff. And we're probably not going to see it at all, even though, I mean, part of it is that it doesn't work is that Kevin Durant doesn't really actually screen anybody but we still haven't seen it at all
0: i'm glad though that cleveland has been good enough to push golden state to the level where we're actually bitching about this stuff right like oh oh, for
1: sure for sure
0: and I think this Cleveland team, they are better than they were last year. I think it's I, that is very clear to me. Uh, LeBron, I think, it, it, certainly through four games, is playing a much better series than he did last year. Uh, Irving has been completely unstoppable in these two games as well. And then Kevin Love, you recall, gave them nothing last year in the finals at all. Uh, I mean, he had an okay game seven coming back from that concussion. But really, you know, he missed game three, came off the bench, I think, in game four. And then, you know, game five didn't do that much either. He had 23 points in 29 minutes in this one, six of eight from three and he's definitely has caused problems you mentioned the way he, he is just a wonderful offensive player and you know I remember when Kevin Pelton did some projections when Love was first traded to Cleveland on what they would be and he projected them to actually be like the greatest offense of all time and now we're seeing that especially now that they have even more shooting around them with Korver as well uh although he only played 12 minutes in this one he didn't didn't need to play more than that so and th- like this Cavaliers offense and this Warriors I mean, we're watching probably two of the five greatest offenses of all time, I would say. I mean, I would put 2013 Miami in that category, the Showtime Lakers, the 90s Bulls, uh, mid-2000s Phoenix. And these are just some unbelievable uh, offensive teams th- that we're seeing right now.
1: There are also squads just with such incredible personnel that even at moments playing good defense isn't necessarily enough. And that's something that's so impressive. I mean, with LeBron, with Kyrie, sometimes with JR and Kevin Love, those guys can just be on and then of course the Warriors guys are the Warriors guys and that's part of what makes this series so much fun and also it puts a little bit on the on the role players you brought him up a little bit with Richard Jefferson but Cleveland was going hard after loose balls after long rebounds everything like that and RJ was at the center of a lot of it and he had been kind of a forgotten guy in the early part of the series and then lo and behold they play him more and they played a lot better
0: yeah those guys can really and Darren Williams they at least got something out of him he scored congratulations to him and he had one Really lucky layup and then hit a wide open three that was a key shot I think uh one of those two threes LeBron hit one at the end of the third also uh, that pushed the lead basically back up to 20 points and and made the rest of the proceedings pretty academic i'm just glad for the league though i mean they get another good game joe lacob gets another 11 million bucks in his pocket that's basically what darren rafael reported the other day that they're getting about 11 million dollars in profit from each of these playoff home games and the prices are only going to ratchet up now too if they think they're going to win this series at home and i'm just i mean i don't care even when it's a blowout like we didn't turn the twitter nba show off until the scrubs came in because anytime you have this much talent on the floor and they're playing hard even if it's in the midst of a blowout i want to see every second of it it's it's really just amazing basketball
1: it was a lot of fun to watch and this was a bizarre game for many reasons and that in some ways made it more kind of endearing if you want to say like it, it was more memorable certainly in that way and i emphasize this sometimes but i think I, I really wanted to take a take a moment to do it now appreciate this series and these players for what they are because as great as this trilogy has been in terms of quality at different moments we never know if we're going to see this again you never know with health or anything else if we're going to see it so whether it's a, a one point game or a 10 point game or a 30 point game these are some of the best athletes and best talents that have ever played the sport that you and i are lucky enough to cover for a living and most of you and you get to watch for as much time as you want and you're you may never see better players playing basketball than we're seeing right now
0: all right that's a good one to end on here don't forget our sponsors today five four club you can get 50 percent off your first package at five four club.com using the promo code CapSpace and SeatGeek $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase using the cap space code also we'll promo a little bit no Twitter NBA show because we will be at game five but I hope that there is a game six so we can do it again we got great numbers on that if you haven't watched the tour NBA show yet actually someone tweeted me today that I retweeted saying I listen to the pod every day but I didn't try the tour NBA show until game three and I loved it I I'm so pissed i missed out on the playoffs so uh i hope you guys will try it and, and feel the same way uh at least next year if there <laughs> i guess i shouldn't be probing it this much because we don't maybe have any left if golden state wins but if you want to find out more about what it's like check out a uh, dunked on video on my youtube channel uh youtube.com slash nate duncan i'm going to post that also at nate duncan and it syncs up the, the highlights from that first Cavs run with our commentary that's live so you can get an idea of what it'd be like to, to watch it live so check that out Follow me on Twitter at NBA. We also appreciate everyone who gives us an iTunes review or rating. That's a great way to help as well. Do you have anything uh, people should check out, Danny?
1: I have a couple of off-season previews for SI that have come out over the, like, I think I had one on the Mavericks recently. Those are just going to keep rolling out over the next little while, maybe even some on the weekend. And then, uh, yeah, and then, I mean, normal Warriors content, stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's going to be a lot of fun to see where this goes. And I don't know. I, I think it's going to be interesting to have this weekend, quote unquote, off just to kind of process where we are and where this is going, because I don't know if it's going to be over in one more game or longer, but it's it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, now uh, the best news is that Chris Haynes actually uh, has another chance to not show up for NBA Finals media pickup for uh, the 97th consecutive year. That's, that's what I'm looking forward to uh, this weekend as well. So uh, uh, Chris, thanks for coming on the show that one time, though. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, catch you all next time. Thanks for listening.